I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We are Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, January 26th, 2022, the 371st day of dystopia. Before we get started, I just want to extend another huge thank you to people who have gone to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator, ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator and donated and also to anyone who has donated to the Bitcoin wallet on Coinbase, that link is in the episode description. I am honored and humbled by your support of this show and the work I do, and your generosity makes it so that I can continue. So thank you. I want to kick off today with a couple of fake centrists trying to push the central narrative in very clever, subtle ways. The first is an op-ed from the Daily Mail by No Name's daughter, Megan McCain, who is married to Ben Dominich of The Federalist and Fox News. And I always mention that because The Federalist was never really on the Trump side and Aside from Molly Hemingway and her book, which have been significantly behind the times on election fraud throughout, The Federalist has more or less covered for the notion that Joe Biden is a legitimate president. And of course, he is not. But Meghan McCain shared this piece on Daily Mail today. I finally got COVID and it was so horrible. It made me doubt if America will ever recover from this pandemic. It will, but not with moronic Biden in charge. Oh, what a strong conservative voice. I knew that I was tempting fate when I reposted a meme on my Instagram stories, joking about dodging golf balls at a driving range. That's how I felt, having gone nearly two years into the pandemic without catching COVID. But then several weeks ago, my husband felt lightheaded and developed a bad cough. We agreed to have him downstairs to our guest room and isolate from me and our daughter until he could get a test. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works best. The fastest and easiest way to get a test in our area in Virginia is not to get an at-home rapid test because there aren't any, but to wait in line in the cold at a testing center. Oh no, the horror. <laughs> hey, Megan, it's also not a good idea to get an at-home rapid test because they don't really work. Same with the rest of the tests, but don't worry about that. He went the next day and tested positive. I can't believe he survived the cold. Then I started to feel bad, but didn't have the bandwidth or energy to go wait in line. So wait a second, Megan, formerly of 
the very responsible The View, you're saying that you believe you might have the coronavirus and you didn't go get tested? Well, that that's just the sort of irresponsibility that could kill someone's grandmother. Thankfully, my sister-in-law had a leftover rapid test that she dropped off outside our house. (laughs) These people, man, these people, it is incredible. She couldn't get anywhere near me. Megan, why didn't she just wear a very effective, highly functioning mask? Then she would have never gotten sick. She would have never gotten your COVID. But better safe than sorry. And with the bright pink pregnancy-like test line staring back at me from my white countertop, I, to my surprise, became overcome with feelings of fear and shame. My husband and I are both fully vaccinated, and Dr. Fauci told the country months ago that it wasn't a matter of if, but when everybody would eventually catch the Omicron variant. So I don't know why I was so surprised that we had finally tested positive. I think there is a feeling of invincibility after somehow dodging the virus for so long. Everything I am about to tell you is a story that I am sure you have heard many times over, but just the same, I think it's worth sharing. Okay, I guess we'll just trust you. Our daughter is 15 months old. I spent the first night after testing positive for COVID completely panicking, setting my alarm clock every two hours to get up and take her temperature to make sure she hadn't developed a fever. Mercifully, she never did and never got sick, but my husband and I got very sick, more sick than the mild Omicron headlines and Twitter streams suggested. I am still now a few weeks out from testing positive, waking up, feeling the after effects of a cold in my throat, getting fatigued easily and unable to taste food or smell anything normally. I've been lighting candles all over the house, waiting for this to change. What are you doing? A seance? You think like the ghost of COVID past is going to come and take away your Omicron? (laughs) Give me back. Give me back my smell and taste, ghost of COVID past. Again, like so many people before us, it was a challenge to take care of our daughter while feeling so lousy. And we had to isolate ourselves from friends and family, just like we did during the early days of the pandemic. Oh, gosh. Just like you always did during the cold or flu, too. I do not want to sound like a baby or ungrateful because I am well aware of how much worse things could have been. But COVID was much rougher than I anticipated, given that we are fully vaccinated. Uh, hey, Megan, things couldn't have been much worse than they were. Okay, you got COVID. You got it worse than the mild Omicron that people talk about because you're fully vaccinated. Things could only have been worse if you were a different person. They can only be exactly as bad as they were. They would have been better if you weren't vaccinated, most likely. What I experienced wasn't mild. It wasn't easy. And I am still fearful of the unknown long-term side effects I may experience. I shared with close friends and family that we were positive, and I was surprised how many people were also diagnosed with COVID around the same time. Hey, Megan, are they vaccinated? But I don't need to ask that, do I? Because people like Meghan McCain, the fully vaccinated, the very high society, high profile, fully vaccinated people. Well, they don't really know unvaccinated people and they don't associate with those kinds of people. So we can pretty much guess 
what their status was, can't we? Why were you surprised that they were also diagnosed? People everywhere are being diagnosed with COVID in the last month and a half from the very scary variant. I wanted to test again after a week, and my in-laws spent days going to Walmart, Target, CVS, and other pharmacies looking for home tests that were nowhere to be found. And, you know, again, she can't go wait in the cold for a test. Finally, after days of looking, my father-in-law lucked out as a shipment had just been delivered, and he was able to buy one. We live 15 minutes away from the White House in the United States of America. Why is it so hard to get an at-home COVID test? In isolation, I started ruminating as to whether the last days of American greatness were finally upon us, like so many pundits have been circulating over the past few years. For a pandemic that is in its third year, shouldn't we have more readily available treatment and testing? For as much information as I know and as much as I have been exposed to, there was not much more than sleeping, Gatorade, Tylenol, and a neti pot to treat COVID-19. Well, hey, Megan, how come you don't know any more information than that? How come you haven't been exposed to any more information than that? The information to treat COVID is actually everywhere. And you're rich and have access? Why didn't you just get ivermectin like a normal person? President Biden promised verbatim while he was running for president that I will end this. I will shut down the virus, not the country. I didn't vote for the man or Trump in parentheses. She's got to make sure that everybody knows she would never vote for Trump. And by the way, neither would her husband. They're both very strong conservatives that have too many principles to vote for the good of the country when it means potentially sacrificing their self-image. I didn't vote for the man or Trump, but I had higher hopes for a better preparedness for the country and the fight to at least mitigate COVID more than a year into the Biden administration. Inflation is rising. It feels like we will have COVID omnipresent for the rest of my lifetime, and we are more divided than at any time in history since the Civil War. Roughly 446,197 Americans have died of COVID-19 since Biden's inauguration. More Americans have died in 2021 of COVID while Biden has been president than in 2020 while Trump was president. It was easy for the media to rightfully Blame Trump for the bungling of the early COVID response. But Biden and his feckless, moronic, isolated Titanic of an administration gets the blame now. I thank God my case of COVID wasn't worse. But for so many others, it is? Question mark. Another thing that a friend of mine told me about is this phenomenon of post-COVID depression. The most sad and pessimistic moments I have ever felt since the initial months in lockdown were after being diagnosed and sick these past weeks from COVID-19. I'm a pretty optimistic person by nature, and this has been hard for me to shake, both physically and emotionally. I can't fathom how people without support, resources, and international columns to tell their story feel. Okay. I mean, this isn't even over, but... I have to stop. This is so ridiculous. She got post-COVID depression? That's not a symptom of COVID. That is a symptom of your mania as a result of the way you view COVID. You think 
Only the bad people get COVID. Only the people who don't follow the rules get COVID. Only the unvaxxed get COVID. Only these bad people are the ones that have bad COVID results. And it's their fault because they're not the believers in the rules. If they believed in the rules, then the rules would protect them. And she is part of a culture that enforces that narrative upon other people. They express hatred and disdain for people who get COVID, believing that those people don't follow the rules. And so that's why she's ashamed to share that she got COVID. She's scared to write this. She was scared to tell her friends and her friends hadn't told her that they had COVID. They found out as they were all breaking through their fears together to finally come clean. I too caught the virus. She said that when she got her positive diagnosis, she became overwhelmed with feelings of fear and shame. Shame for catching a virus. Have you ever been ashamed of catching a cold or the flu? I mean, yeah, it sucks. Maybe it's ruining something you had scheduled, but it's not a cause for shame. And what is the source of her depression? I often have said on this show that depression is basically you lying to yourself about reality. You're trying to convince yourself that the real world is something other than it is and your place in it is something other than it is. She thought she couldn't get COVID because she followed the rules. She thought people who got COVID are bad because they don't follow the rules. She is absolutely clueless about everything having to do with the virus. She believed that the cure is Gatorade and a neti pot and Tylenol because she didn't have any other information. And this is a perfect example of these sorts of people. They think, despite not knowing anything, that they know everything and that the beliefs they hold make them good. It places them on the good side. Everybody else is on the bad side. Therefore, nothing bad can happen to them. They're protected by the science. The source of her depression is the reality that she does not want to face, that she does not want to recognize, that she's actually no better than everybody else. No matter how many times she repeated the slogans, no matter how faithfully she followed the rules, she is exactly the same as everyone else. In fact, she's in an even worse position than all of the rule breakers because she has poisoned herself and opened her body up to have more severe responses to any form of COVID that she has gotten or will get, and basically any other disease or sickness as well. No wonder there is a pandemic of depression, suicides, and malaise. Oh, right. That whole time, the increase in child abuse, domestic abuse, drug abuse, loneliness, suicide, depression, all of that was because people got 
COVID depression. It wasn't because of the lockdowns that forced them to stay home and stay away from other people to make it so that they could not work and could not feel warmth and affection from their fellow humans. It's because they got COVID depression. It's one of the symptoms. Everything keeps getting worse. This is her writing this. No name's daughter, Megan McCain, who for no reason has had television shows, international columns, a life of opportunities. And she writes, everything keeps getting worse. It is not rational for me to think President Biden could stop a virus. However, it is rational for me to believe he would help make the treatment testing and overall morale of the country better. Everything keeps getting worse and feeling worse. I still refuse to succumb to the left's propaganda that America's greatest days are behind her. Oh, that's what it sounds like you're writing for sure. That being said, we need an intense and immediate shift away from whatever depression this administration is continuing to let the country experience. Maybe this is the best that Biden and his administration thinks America has to offer or deserves. But I assure you, there will be others out there who do not feel that way. And they will not let this country continue to be this sick physically, emotionally, financially. We are Americans. We can do so much better than this, and we owe it to ourselves and the generations ahead of us to do better. Biden may not believe in mourning in America, but I sure as hell still do, just not under his failed leadership. Ah, yes, the rhino establishment is rearing its head and right out front leading the vanguard is Meghan McCain whimpering. But this article is just a perfect example of this mindset. She wouldn't vote for Trump. She couldn't do that. She basically supported Biden, even if she didn't vote for him. And why wouldn't she vote for him? Doesn't it matter who's president? Did she vote for Joe Jorgensen or did she not vote? She certainly participated in all the false narratives about Donald Trump and his administration. She certainly participated in the false narrative that Joe Biden is a legitimate president and she still does. So whose fault is all of this, Megan? Why, it's yours and people like you and people in your social class and people who believe the things that you believe, even though they will readily admit, as you heard her admit, that she doesn't know anything about the issue she feels so strongly about. And this reflects the mindset of these people. They thought as soon as Donald Trump is gone, everything's going to be just fine. We're going to get back to normalcy. Everything's going to be normal with Joe Biden. He's a moderate. He's a decent man. He's a kind man. Just look at him kiss and rub those children. How kind and decent. And of course, they would never positively and affirmatively make that argument either. They just want not Trump. And why do they want not Trump? Because they don't want to hear about divisive politics all the time. And by that, I mean, they don't want to hear the media and liberals and tech and all of it continue to scream all the time because they want to be on those people's sides. But those people make it impossible to be on their side. They're sick of having to either call those people crazy 
and then be accused of being a Trump supporter or align themselves with those people, which is their honest belief system. They thought that they could just get through this election, get Donald Trump out, then everyone, the volume would get turned down, people would stop freaking out, and then they could go right back to aligning with all their elitist friends and belief systems. They believed on some level, because they listen to the television and do whatever the television says, that everything was Donald Trump's fault. And COVID was Donald Trump's fault. And as soon as you get Trump out, well, everything's just going to be perfect. And now, now, Megan, your depression that you're feeling, just like with your COVID depression, it's the realization that you have been wrong about all of this stuff that you have preached loudly for years. And you don't want to feel that way. You thought Trump would go away. People would look at you as a hero. Oh, yes, I never supported that terrible man. And you would just ride off into the sunset with people clapping behind you. Oh, what a hero. She stood up to the mean orange man. She's so brave saying all the things the television says while also calling herself a Republican. What a principled individual. And look at that balloon animal she calls a husband. He's got principles, too. These people are embarrassing. And along the same lines, I've I've mentioned on the podcast before, and I'm I've done some writing about it that I haven't put out yet. But I've said before that centrists don't exist. Right. I do not believe that there are centrists. There are people with moderate views. In fact, that's the purpose of this show, trying to understand where both sides might be right. Turns out global communists are never right. So the moderate position is saying that and then also not going to the other extreme. But there are no centrists. There's not, oh, I'm I'm socially liberal, but fiscally conservative. Well, okay, centrist, tell me what that means. You have some views that you share with Democrats and some views that you share with Republicans. Oh, so interesting. Except all of those views are actually shared with the globalist agenda. So you're not a centrist. You're just a global communist who thinks that sometimes one television channel is wrong and the other one is right. This is from Real Clear Politics today. The writer is J. Peter with a D. Zane. Great name. America depends on the mushy middle. Are you ready to hear how great centrists are? While news junkies have been consuming 24-7 coverage of our nation's escalating partisan divide in preparation for a second civil war, there's been an unexpected shift on the ground. Millions of Americans seem to have switched sides. And even describing it that way is inaccurate. Millions of Americans have left the Democrat Party and become independents or Republicans, and they have shifted in their thinking. It's not going the other direction, too. Gallup reports that 2021 saw a dramatic shift toward the Republicans. The percentage of Americans who support or lean toward the GOP increased seven percentage points, while Democrats have seen their numbers fall to 42 percent from 49 during the year. And I did a show on this a couple of weeks ago. 
This substantial change would seem all but impossible given the Manichaean give no quarter rhetoric that leaders from both parties and much of the media use to describe a nation split into warring camps. Again, both parties doesn't matter. And one of the clearest errors that these centrists make is their pretense that this is all still about two sides, Republican and Democrat. It is mind numbing watching people discuss politics this way still. Last week, President Biden proclaimed his later denial, notwithstanding that anyone who opposes his party's election bill is akin to George Wallace, Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. Such inflammatory language has become common fare. Hello, Donald Trump. As our political discourse is defined by insults and moral dudgeon. Oh, so righteous. Just a few years ago, pundits used sports metaphors to describe this landscape, like Yankee and Red Sox fans. Americans saw politics through a fan's eyes, but we could still shake hands after the final out. Now the megaphone narrative broadcast by political and thought leaders cast us more like Israelis and Palestinians, mortal enemies who may never be able to come to terms because each side has so demonized the other. In America, they urge us to ask, how can you make peace with Jefferson Davis or Lenin? And that's a that is a wonderful question. How can you? My whole show is basically about the answer to that. So I'm going to go ahead, continuing to think that America is not actually dividing right now. America is unifying, just not in the place that any of these people want it to unify. In that context, one wonders, how could so many alleged Democrats betray the cause and join ranks with the evil Republicans? And how is it possible, because we all know it is, that these folks, having seen the GOP light, might revert back to the land of the left-wing loons? Well, they're not going to. The answer is that divided as we certainly are, the political narrative is not nearly as stark as our thought leaders pretend. Yes, a significant percentage of Americans are in warring camps. While Biden's approval rating among Democrats has slipped, 80% of them still approve of the job he's doing. Well, yes, 80% of the still remaining Democrats may say that. But people are exiting the Democrat Party, leaving only the most extreme people to identify as Democrats and give their answers in these polls. If someone has moderate opinions and was a Democrat, they may have left the Democrat Party and become an independent. And now when they are polled, they say, I'm an independent. As time goes on, the people who identify as Democrats become more and more extreme. That is why they still identify as Democrats. So 80% of them still approve of the job he's doing, according to Gallup. Republicans, meanwhile, continue in their fierce opposition. Only 11% of them approved of the new president when he took office, and now just 4% do. Scott Rasmussen's recent poll found that 45% of Democrats believe Hillary Clinton won the 2016 election, and 56% of Republicans think Trump actually prevailed in 2020. But the political label long embraced by a plurality of Americans is not D or R, but I, independent. This is the mushy middle that helped elect Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012 and then delivered the White House to Trump. Polls like the Gallup survey mentioned above often bulk up two party numbers by assigning to and fro leaners to one side or the other. How could someone support Obama and Trump? It's easy if you're not a yellow dog ideologue. 
These voters do not see politics as apocalyptic conflict. They make their best estimate of the country's direction, look at the choices they're given and decide, often while holding their noses. They are the open-minded center that is fundamental to a functioning democracy. These voters are willing to consider a wide range of factors, not just the party line, before pulling the lever. In truth, many of them could not provide a thorough and consistent analysis for their side switching. It is more a gut feeling that expresses the wisdom of the crowd. Unlike most Republicans, they gave Biden a chance. Unlike most Democrats, they are willing to admit he is not providing the leadership they want. This is maddening to the Kool-Aid drinkers who shape our political narrative. The irony is that these folks are, on one level, the most informed Americans. They are the civically engaged citizens our founders imagined. They spend most of the time reading and thinking about politics. They have endless streams of facts and arguments at their command. But most Americans now live in a partisan bubble that makes it all but impossible for them to consider new ideas. Unable to change their minds to brook compromise or even accommodation, they believe our differences can never be resolved. This is the mindset that imagines and maybe even hopes for a new civil war. Going forward, the mushy middle will become even more important to the success of the American project. Unfortunately, they will also face increasing pressure. Our political and thought leaders show no signs of laying down arms. Instead, they insistently ratchet up their narrative of divisive doom. As the demand to pick a side intensifies, how long will independence be able to resist? And this is a complete and total misreading of what is actually happening now in politics. He is just repeating an old notion about the partisan divide. And he is admitting that those Americans, this mushy middle, don't really have the information. They're making their vote based on a gut feeling about which way they should go that cycle. That is not what is happening now. People are leaving the Democrat Party because they understand the Democrat Party has lied to them about one of the most important issues of their lives, actually about many. And they are learning that. And soon they're going to find out that the Democrat Party lied about another issue of massive importance, which is the election that the election fraud stuff is moving. You can see it everywhere. It is moving along down all of the roads that I have been discussing over the last 18 months. All of them, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, they're all developing. Mike Lindell's stuff is developing. Pete Santilli just reported on his show last night that he had talked to Mike Lindell and Mike Lindell had let him know that Lindell has had whistleblower protection for this entire time. You think his information is wrong and he just got whistleblower status for fun? What's going to happen when, say, for instance, Dominion is forced to rescind their lawsuit because Mike Lindell has the facts on his side? What will happen then around the country when that headline goes out there? And it will. I am so sick of political writing that is just meant to give Americans an excuse as to why they shouldn't be involved and shouldn't feel a necessity to be involved, to be informed, okay? What in the world convinced us that paying attention to how we were governed and to the laws that are put in place to control us was a waste of our time? 
And now that is taken as a given. People are like, oh, well, you know, I have I have better things to do than have this discussion. Well, really? Because we're discussing, for instance, whether or not the government is allowed to force your children to be poisoned. What ranking of your priorities indicates that you have a better use for your time? It is such a dangerous notion that we can't be involved, that we can't make change. We're just going to have to trust these people. Oh, all politicians lie, but you know what? It's just fine. We're content to walk through our lives as zombies, no matter what the government does. I mean, hey, it's the government. It can't get better. You can't fix it. And it doesn't really affect us that much. Oh, really? It doesn't? Are you sure? You very smart centrist? This author is clinging to his last bits of relevance as they slip away from him forever. Now, changing subjects completely without a segue. This is from yesterday from Technofog on Substack. Durham. DNC lawyer Mark Elias has given grand jury testimony. Today, special counsel John Durham provided a discovery update to the court in the Michael Sussman case. In this filing, and he links it from his substack, he disclosed that his team has obtained a tremendous amount of information ranging from a variety of sources, including Perkins Coie, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and former DNC Clinton lawyer Mark Elias. While Sussman has been charged with giving false statements to then FBI general counsel James Baker regarding the Alpha Bank Trump organization hoax, Durham notes that the government also maintains an active ongoing criminal investigation of Sussman's conduct. In other words, Sussman's criminal conduct likely is not limited to false statements. There is more. If we are to make an educated guess, it may have to do with the conspiracy to accuse the Trump organization of having secret back channel communications with Alpha Bank. And he links to a prior piece on the potential for a conspiracy charge regarding the Trump Alpha Bank hoax. Now to the evidence. Durham and his team have secured grand jury testimony from one Perkins Coie partner and DNC Hillary Clinton lawyer Mark Elias. That is enormous, okay? Mark Elias is the lawyer that runs around the country doing lawfare so Democrats can steal elections, so that the George Soros election apparatus works as they intend. He is also the guy who's out there right now trying to figure out ways that he can make sure MAGA candidates are not allowed to run in elections this year by claiming that they are ineligible due to their participation in an insurrection. Two, former FBI general counsel James Baker also appeared before the grand jury. And number three, current CIA employees. Durham and his team have completed interviews of the following individuals. Former FBI general counsel James Baker, more than 24 other current and former FBI employees, current and former employees of the CIA and DARPA, 12 employees of the Internet companies referenced in the Sussman indictment, the former chairman of DNC Clinton law firm Perkins Coie, a former employee of the Clinton campaign, current and former employees of Georgia Tech, which was involved in the Alpha Bank hoax, and an employee of Tech Executive One, also known as Rodney Jaffe, a Sussman client who assisted with the Alpha Bank hoax. Still, there's more. 
Durham has obtained records and documents from the Hillary Clinton campaign, Perkins Coie, Hillary for America, Fusion GPS, a PR firm that advised Perkins Coie regarding public statements about Sussman's meeting with James Baker, phone logs for numerous current and former FBI employees, a classified memorandum and related reports of interviews pertaining to a criminal investigation previously conducted by the U.S. Department of Justice regarding a potential leak of classified information. And finally, he has also secured nearly 400 emails between the FBI and Perkins Coie from January 2016 through June 2017. That's a whole lot of stuff that's going to put Hillary Clinton and the DNC and the election fraud lawyer in a lot of hot water. There's also a curious paragraph discussing the fact that Durham in January 2022 learned from the DOJ inspector general that they possessed, quote, two FBI cell phones of the former FBI general counsel to whom the defendant made his alleged false statement, along with forensic reports analyzing those cell phones, end quote. Durham's team is going through those cell phones now to analyze their contents. And there will be more with Durham stating, quote, the government expects to receive additional information and documents in the coming weeks that may be relevant to the charged conduct. While we expected some grand jury testimony, the fact that Mark Elias, the DNC Clinton lawyer, was before a grand jury is certainly newsworthy. It's possible that Elias's testimony was limited to Sussman's involvement in the Alpha Bank hoax. As we previously noted, the Sussman indictment provided that Durham obtained emails between Elias and Sussman regarding the Alpha Bank allegations. But consider the possibility that Durham has used the crime fraud exception to compel disclosure of information otherwise subject to privilege and to help elicit testimony. Under the crime fraud exception, communications are not privileged when the client consults an attorney for advice that will serve him in the commission of a fraud or crime. To meet this burden, Durham had to show two things. One, that the client was engaged in or planning a criminal or fraudulent scheme when it sought the advice of counsel to further the scheme. And two, that Durham demonstrated the attorney-client communications for which production is sought are sufficiently related to and were made in furtherance of the intended or present continuing illegality. All this leads us to believe that Durham is focused on something more substantial than the false Alpha Bank allegations. Perhaps the inception of it all, the claim of Russian hacking. As we have said before, consider the possibility that evidence of Russian hacking was placed by the DNC Perkins Coie at all for CrowdStrike to conveniently find. And man, if the DNC emails didn't get leaked to WikiLeaks through Russian hacking, who gave them to WikiLeaks? Was it Seth Rich? I wonder if Durham is moving in that direction. And if he is, well, who boy. Changing subjects once again without a segue, let's go to the Federalist. This is from today. Zuckbucks Connected, private organization, taught election officials to control the narrative about mail-in voting. This is by Logan Washburn. A left-leaning nonprofit instructed public officials how to control the narrative about mail-in ballots in the 2020 election. The National Vote at Home Institute guided officials to sway public opinion in favor of mail-in voting with their 2020 election official communications toolkit. 
The group shared this document with public officials in Wisconsin while working with the Center for Tech and Civic Life to influence the 2020 election. CTCL used nearly half a billion dollars from Facebook tycoon Mark Zuckerberg to fund private action within government election offices. They spent most of the money in Democrat-saturated districts, which boosted Joe Biden's narrow presidential win in 2020. Oh, yes, very narrow, very win. As a partner for the Zuckbucks recipient, NVAHI gave public officials advice on how to, quote, control the narrative about mail-in ballots. Do not repeat myths as a way to refute them, the document says. Instead, control the narrative by presenting information that affirms the safety, security, and reliability of mail-in balloting. I'm surprised they didn't give this advice to the mainstream media because repeating things in order to refute them is their policy across the board all the time. And using that against them is one of the most effective narrative-breaking tools that we have. They spread out tons and tons of fake news. We all push the various ways that they're lying into the central narrative. And then they respond by taking our claims and fact checking them on the air, through social media, in the newspapers. They write their little fact checks, repeating what we have actually said, which is the truth, and then figuring out some very weak way to debunk it thereby letting everyone know, yeah, well, you don't have to worry about it. Don't get scared, child brain. It's only the bad people that say that stuff. Mail-in voting is not only proven to be more susceptible to voter fraud and errors than in-person voting, it is well known to favor Democrats over Republicans. It essentially functions as a get-out-the-vote operation on behalf of Democrats whose voters are less motivated to show up at the polls on Election Day. Republican voters far prefer to vote in person, accurately believing it is more secure. But that's not the whole explanation for that either. Democrat voters had no problem showing up in person to vote for Barack Obama. And I'm not saying that Barack Obama's elections were without fraud, not by any means. But Democrats don't want to go vote in person for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden because they're Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. We were told we were told that Joe Biden could achieve 81 million votes because Trump was so hated and the country was so desperate to move on from Donald Trump, even though he gained an additional 12 million votes. But yet we are also supposed to believe that while hating Donald Trump so much, thinking that a second Trump term would be the end of the world, they still were not motivated to go out and vote. We are supposed to pretend that is really what is happening. The group also told election officials to push mail-in voting by placing articles in media outlets. Reporters will likely already be writing up voter information guides as well as shaping their articles around how well or poorly the election is running. A proactive op-ed strategy is helpful here, the document says. You got that? They want election officials to go out and propagandize the public about how safe mail-in voting is. Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. The National Vote at Home Institute explained that officials should target free, popular local news publications. For all these types of outlets, approach them about whether they would run an article on your behalf about the upcoming election, the document says. The organization recommended officials use public information strategies such as playing up the security of mail-in voting. 
National Vote at Home Institute told election officials to dissuade concerns about mail-in ballots by claiming that they contain, quote, over a dozen security features, end quote. Voters may be reluctant to fill out a mail ballot because of concerns they've heard about stolen or lost ballots. Assuage those concerns without leaning into them, the document says. The guide also tells public officials to, quote, instill a sense of urgency, end quote, about mail-in voting, recommending an appeal to popularity. Voters may be unsure whether voting by mail is right for them. Social proof showing how many people are taking up a behavior is a powerful way of making mail-in ballots a compelling option, the document says. And we could see this in action in 2020. They were paying actors and other influencers to, for instance, take pictures of themselves dropping their mail-in ballots in the very safe Mark Zuckerberg drop boxes. This is how propaganda gets made. They go out and say, hey, you're an election official. You know what would be great is if you wrote an op-ed about how safe mail-in balloting is, and then they'll publish the op-ed, and then there will be reports about how an election official has published an op-ed assuring everyone how safe mail-in balloting is. When they say things like, according to election officials, this is what they mean. According to election officials who have been paid to say the things that we want said, well, we were right. And then they use social proof. Don't you understand? Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else agrees. Everybody else can see that it's very safe and effective. Do you really want to not be like everybody else? Do you want to be like some conspiracy theorist? I mean, come on. Think about it. Think for yourself. Don't you want to be just like everyone else? Or are you crazy? The document also recommended that government election offices use particular slogans for public information campaigns, such as voting by mail is easy and secure. Let's all vote safely. Choose to vote by mail. National Vote at Home Institute partnered with the organization Ideas 42 to create this toolkit. According to its website, the group is a, quote, nonprofit that uses insights from behavioral science to improve lives, build better systems and policies, and drive social change, end quote. Ideas 42 works with CTCL partner Center for Civic Design, along with several offices of government secretaries of state. Isn't that great? Just public-private partnerships. You get Mark Zuckerberg, you get his money. You figure out exactly what he wants our politics to look like. And then you start paying public officials to tell the rest of us what Mark Zuckerberg wants. And then they can implement the changes that Mark Zuckerberg wants and achieve the results that Mark Zuckerberg wants. Don't you see? It's the safest and most secure election of all time. After CTCL gave a grant of $1.6 million to the Wisconsin city of Green Bay in 2020, National Vote at Home Institute gained access to absentee ballots and influence over election preparations in the area. National Vote at Home Institute, Wisconsin State Lead, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, emailed the elections guide to former Green Bay City Clerk Chris Teske in August 2020. And that name, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, has popped up many times before and will pop up many more times in the future, particularly 
as Justice Gableman's investigation proceeds. Spitzer Rubenstein is all over his radar. When reaching out to Teske, Spitzer Rubenstein described the toolkit as a groundbreaking resource that uses behavioral science insights from our partners at Ideas 42 to help you connect with communities and get voters the information they need. Spitzer Rubenstein, who worked for Democrat political campaigns in the past, emailed Teske to ask if his group could cure absentee ballots. This means altering absentee ballots after they are filed to allegedly fix errors rather than counting improperly marked ballots as invalid. When Teske turned down the offer, Spitzer Rubenstein emailed former Green Bay Mayor's Office Chief of Staff Celestine Jeffries, who ordered Teske to open the city elections ballot curing process to the National Vote at Home Institute, a private special interest group. Baseless claims, no evidence. Clownish. A 2021 audit of Wisconsin elections found the state had counted enough illegal ballots in 2020 to potentially switch its electoral college votes from Biden to Donald Trump. And that was the audit from Wisconsin's Legislative Audit Bureau that Rachel Maddow told us didn't find anything at all. Vote curing in the election could have contributed to the state counting illegal votes. The audit found also in 2021, a judge ruled that the state's 2020 use of ballot drop boxes and ballot harvesting, both of which are only possible with mail-in ballots, was illegal. The majority of mail-in ballots in Wisconsin were votes for Biden, who won the state by a margin of 0.63 percent or approximately 20,600 votes before Election Day. Green Bay officials gave Spitzer Rubenstein four out of five keys to the room in which the absentee ballots were stored. Former Brown County clerk Sandy Juno told Wisconsin Spotlight. After the election, Juno expressed concerns that the central count location was, quote, tainted by the influence of a person working for an outside organization influencing the election, end quote, according to Wisconsin Spotlight. Teske said she felt that third-party groups such as CTCL and the National Vote at Home Institute excluded the clerk's office from the election process. As you know, I am very frustrated along with the clerk's office. I don't know what to do anymore. She emailed a colleague. I don't understand how people who don't have knowledge of the process can tell us how to manage the election. The most secure election of all time. Tim Ramthan in Wisconsin is continuing to push forward the resolution to decertify Wisconsin's election. And he's getting quite a bit of blowback up there. The rhinos in Wisconsin are beginning to completely out themselves and expose themselves. It seems like they want to stop the process so that they do not have to vote for or against any of this stuff. They don't want to be the person that says, I support the result of the fraudulent 2020 election. And they're obviously not on the side of the right and the true, or they would be helping Ramthan instead of blocking his efforts, but they don't actually seem to have the courage to come out and say that the election was safe and secure. They just want the whole thing to go away. But little by little, nonetheless, it is continuing to move forward, which is going to be wonderful for all of us. And again, if you haven't checked out Tim Ramthan's presentation about election fraud, go to his website and you can find it. I think it's legis.wisconsin.gov. And you can look up Representative Ramthan 
and navigate to that presentation, or you can just search Ramthan in the info stream on Telegram. Just get the Telegram app, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Now, this morning, Justice Stephen Breyer announced that he will be stepping down from the Supreme Court at the end of this session. And the narrative is already fully out there. Joe Biden said a while back that if he has the opportunity to nominate someone to the Supreme Court, he will choose a black woman. Now, Stacey Abrams sister is one of the people being mentioned as a potential nominee. But I just want to throw out the possibility, and it's only a possibility, that he might appoint Kamala Harris. It would be the perfect way to get Kamala out of her position as vice president. Kamala has no political future in electoral politics, okay? She cannot win an election for anything at this point. She dropped out of the presidential primary race in 2019. Tulsi Gabbard secured more delegates. And her approval rating is even lower than Joe Biden's. It is in the mid to low 20s. It's probably even less than that if we could actually get accurate polling. So that would be the benefit for her being named to the court. She can talk about how she was California's attorney general and she's the most qualified ever and the first black woman. Hooray! And then you know who could take her spot. Hillary Clinton. And then, I mean, Biden, he's got an expiration date and he's already passed it. He could be out of there at any point. So I'm just saying, keep your eyes open for that possibility. And uh, so I know that I haven't given the Rampton thing as much attention as I've wanted to this week. There was another event this week that I have not spent time on the podcast covering, and that is Ron Johnson's panel on the absolute crimes against humanity that have developed as a result of the COVID response. There are multiple uh, great ways to watch that hearing that don't require you sitting there for all five and a half hours, although it's well worth it. Some of the great uh, content producers on Telegram, Kaneko the Great, and I think the other one was Chief Nerd, have done these kind of compilations. They highlight videos, really. And there's one that's 40 minutes long, and you can find that. On Telegram, just search for Ron Johnson in the info stream or even just on Telegram overall. You will probably make your way to that. But it is definitely in the info stream. Definitely worth watching. This is a piece from The Blaze today by Daniel Horowitz reporting on some of what was revealed in that panel. Whistleblowers share DOD medical data that blows vaccine safety debate wide open. Data transparency and surveillance. That is what has been missing from the greatest experiment on humans of all time throughout this pandemic. Now, military medical whistleblowers have come forward with what they claim is perhaps the most accurate and revealing data set on vaccine safety one could possibly find. The pro-pharma politicians and media claim the CDC's pharmacosurveillance tool, VAERS, is not good enough to trigger investigations into the shots because anyone can supposedly submit a vaccine adverse event entry. Thus, all the concerning safety signals from VAERS are being ignored, even though that system was put in place as a consolation to the public for absolving vaccine manufacturers of liability. 
Well, now some whistleblowers are coming forward to present data that, if verified, would signal extremely disturbing safety concerns about the vaccine that makes the VAERS data look like child's play. On Monday, during Senator Ron Johnson's five-hour hearing on a COVID-19 second opinion, Ohio attorney Thomas Renz, who has been representing clients suing over the vaccine mandates, presented DOD medical billing data from the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, DMED, that paints a shockingly disturbing picture of the health of our service members in 2021. According to the military, DMED is the Armed Forces Health Surveillance Branch's, quote, web-based tool to remotely query de-identified active component personnel and medical event data contained within the Defense Medical Surveillance System. End quote. In other words, it contains every ICD medical billing code for any medical diagnosis in the military submitted for medical insurance billing during any given period of time. Three military doctors have presented queried data to Rens that shows a shocking and sudden spike in nearly every ICD code for common vaccine injuries in 2021. In a declaration under penalty of perjury, that Renz plans to use in the federal court. Doctors Samuel Sigaloff, Peter Chambers, and Teresa Long, three military doctors, revealed that there has been a 300% increase in DMED codes registered for miscarriages in the military in 2021 over the five-year average. The five-year average was 1,499 codes for miscarriages per year. During the first 10 months of 2021, it was 4,182. As Renz explained to me in an interview with The Blaze, these doctors queried the numbers for hundreds of codes from 2016 through 2020 to establish a baseline five-year average. These codes were generally for ailments and injuries that medical literature has established as being potential adverse events of the vaccines. Renz told me the numbers tended to be remarkably similar in all those preceding years, including in 2020, which was the first year of the pandemic, but before the vaccines were distributed. But then in 2021, the numbers skyrocketed, and the 2021 data doesn't even include the months of November and December. For example, some public health officials speculate that COVID itself places women at higher risk for miscarriages, but the number of miscarriage codes recorded in 2020 was actually slightly below the five-year average. However, they were not drastically below the average on any one category in a way that one can suggest it reflects lockdown-related decreases in doctor's visits, which somehow led to an increase in 2021 diagnoses. The database has all the ICD codes for both military hospital visits and ambulatory visits. The data presented by RENS so far is all from the query of ambulatory diagnosis data. Aside from the spike in miscarriage diagnosis, ICD code 003 for spontaneous abortions, there was an almost 300% increase in cancer diagnoses from a five-year average of 38,700 per year to 114,645 in the first months of 2021. There was also a 1,000% increase in diagnosis codes for neurological issues, which increased from a baseline average of 82,000 to 863,000. Some other numbers that he did not mention at the hearing but gave to me in the interview are the following. Myocardial infarction, 
269% increase. Bell's palsy, 291% increase. Congenital malformations for children of military personnel, 156% increase. Female infertility, 471% increase. And pulmonary embolisms, 467% increase. But how about that female infertility? I guess maybe that part wasn't a conspiracy theory either. And I don't want to be flippant about what a massive problem it is that millions and millions of people in our country and around the world may well have sterilized themselves for no benefit. But this is the sort of thing that happens in a censorship regime where people who are looking at the available information and relaying in good faith what they think it might mean are systematically silenced and shamed. It was never a conspiracy theory that these vaccines would cause fertility issues. We could tell almost immediately as women started to have problems with their menstrual cycles. There are women in their 30s who have gone into menopause after getting these vaccines. What could be more obvious than the fact that fertility issues could arise from the use of these vaccines? It has been obvious from the beginning, and it has been in the literature from the beginning. All of these numbers are among the ambulatory visits because those are where the vast number of diagnoses in the military occur. However, Renz did say the increases were indicated in the hospital patients as well. I have seen one of the sworn declarations from one of the military doctors, and it states as follows, quote, it is my professional opinion that the major increases in incidences of the above discussed instances of miscarriage, cancers, and disease were due to COVID-19 vaccinations. According to Renz, it was the actual clinical experience of the three named doctors and several unnamed doctors that led them to investigate DMED and their discoveries reflected their experience treating patients with ailments extremely unusual to healthy young soldiers since the rollout of vaccines. I have spoken to one of the whistleblowers who attests to being gravely concerned with seeing young soldiers with sudden metastatic cancers, autoimmune diseases, and heart and circulatory disorders that have caused many soldiers to drop out of various training programs. These doctors were motivated to explore DMED data due to the numbers of case increases they were seeing empirically, said the whistleblower, who served in the military for many years. Some physicians throughout the force, all branches, have been intimidated by commands not to perform the full spectrum of testing and adhere to the regulations, which implicitly direct full workups for EUA vaccination adverse reactions. It will require other military physicians to step forward and share experiences to fully ascertain the enormity of these allegations and engender an investigation to the fullest extent. Renz claims he has a video with two witnesses showing the entire process of downloading this data from the database and is prepared to present it in court. He also told me that this is just the tip of the iceberg, as the codes have increased exponentially in numerous other diagnosis categories. Renz said his spreadsheet, which includes over a 100 medical diagnosis categories, was shared with Senator Johnson and his staff before the Monday hearing. It's important to note that these numbers do not represent the number of individual people diagnosed with various ailments, but number of diagnosis codes used in totality at a given time. 
For example, someone who has a stroke is obviously going to rack up numerous neurological ICD codes over the course of a year with multiple ambulatory and hospital visits. However, the apples to apples comparison from the previous five years clearly shows an unmistakable spike in ailments. If these numbers are verified in the upcoming court cases, then absent some massive military insurance fraud or bizarre glitch in the system, it potentially paints a shocking picture of vaccine safety concerns that would indicate that not only were the VAR safety signals something that should immediately have been followed up on, but they are plagued by woeful underreporting. The military is a defined, finite, and closely controlled and monitored population. They are also overwhelmingly young and healthy. If allegations of neurological, cardio, and cancer concerns surrounding the vaccines are indeed true, the military would be the most revealing place to discover it, and their data is the most reliable and undisputable. DMED is quite literally an epidemiological surveillance program designed for the express purpose of detecting surges in illness and injury to make sure the military is combat ready. It's about national security even more than public health. Why would the military not have blown the whistle and warned the CDC right away about this data? On the Military Health System website, the Armed Forces Health Surveillance Division is described as, quote, the central epidemiologic resource for the U.S. Armed Forces, conducting medical surveillance to protect those who serve our nation in uniform and allies who are critical to our national security interests. How could the blaring and glaring surveillance signals of a lifetime be ignored by the Defense Health Agency, and how was this not conveyed to the general public? The question is why the military public health analysts have not been communicating with military doctors about the shocking spikes in diagnoses this year and why they have not put out any analysis explaining it. For his part, Senator Ron Johnson said at the Monday hearing that he put the DOD on notice that it better not delete any of the data. The Department of Defense, the Biden administration is on notice. They must preserve these records and this must be investigated, said Johnson. Renz testified at the hearing that some of the myocarditis data was slid backwards since the doctors originally downloaded it last year. Even if somehow these earth shattering increases have nothing to do with vaccines, isn't it important that our government investigate what appears to be a catastrophic decline in the health of our active duty fighting force? After all, the DMED data was designed for this very purpose. A person can do a research paper just on this data alone, said one of the whistleblowers I spoke to. It was designed for this very purpose. The amount of data points you could query is nearly unlimited. The bottom line, according to Renz, is that the onus of proof is on the government, not on the military personnel and citizens being forced to take the shots. If the manufacturers are exempt from liability for government coercion to use their product, and the only pharmacological safety data we have is completely ignored, then where is the recourse of the people to redress safety concerns? In the opinion of the Ohio attorney, if the shots are safe and effective, then the Pentagon should have no problem explaining the source of these gargantuan increases in instances of numerous illnesses. Transparency is the most potent cure of a pandemic of secrecy. And that is an excellent piece, an excellent piece of reporting and a crucial issue. Again, it is absolutely worth your time to go and watch or listen to the highlights from Ron Johnson's panel on Monday. It's called COVID-19, a second opinion. You can find it. You can find it most easily by going to Rumble, but it's also readily available on Telegram in the info stream and elsewhere. Search for Ron Johnson. 
even if you just watch the highlights, it is necessary information for you to understand and for you to share with the people around you. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. It's high noon. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm Your Moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!